the sign. And the Bible says in John 2, verse number 1, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now that had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew where it was from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I entitled this message, The Sign. Because there's a sign that you give when you scuba dive that when you are at the bottom of the, of the ocean floor and you're looking around at all these beautiful creatures and you see the, the, the eel snakes swimming and you see the, all the pretty Nemo fish out there, there's a sign you give when you finally look over at your tank and you see that you're out of oxygen at the bottom of the ocean. That sign is this, and it's going to be up on the screen. And so you're doing this. It's like basically your hands flat, and you run it across your neck like, I'm dying here. I'm out of breath. I'm out of oxygen. I need emergency help. You're saying, I need a miracle to get back to the top of the water. And so the title of this morning's message is The Sign, because Mary, at the wedding she was at, she was obviously overseeing some part of it, noticed that they had ran out of wine, and she gives Jesus the sign. Jesus, we're out. Get me to the top. I need some help. So the title of this morning's message is The Sign, because have you ever been at the very end of something, ran out completely, and you need a miracle to come in and make the difference? Well, today I believe we still serve a miracle-working God as Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the dive site that we're setting up at today, the dive site is a wedding. All the women say yay, and all the men say no, <laughs> Right? Did you ever remember before you got married how everything that you did, all the stuff about a wedding was so great and wonderful? After you got married, it's like, oh, Lord, I hope I never go to another wedding again the rest of my life. And then after you, when you're about to have a baby, everything about a baby is amazing and wonderful. Then after you have a baby, about six, eight weeks into it, reality sets in. And you hear the cute little baby on TV crying, all you think of is a dirty diaper, right? Well, it's kind of the situation that, that we're in here with a wedding that's taking place. We're at, there's a scene being set when they're at a wedding and Mary is there. She's invited and Jesus is also invited with his five disciples that are with him at the time. And those disciples are Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and then also John, the writer of this, obviously had to be there. Or whoever wrote the Gospel of John, which many believe it's John. And so John chapter 2 and verse number 3 starts out. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And now understand this. We've got to go back into Jewish culture, and we're going to understand this a little bit better throughout this first point. When the wine ran out, it's better at a Jewish wedding to, wedding to run out of oxygen than it is to run out of wine, okay? You would be happier to run out of oxygen, and everybody pass out, and, and you could leave the scene rather than to run out of wine and be made a total disgrace or embarrassment at the wedding. Some of the other fascinating things about a Jewish wedding, I'm going to read to you out of Leon Morris's account of the gospel according to John. And according to the Mishnah, the wedding would take place on a Wednesday if the bride was a virgin, or a Thursday if the bride was a widow. 
The bridegroom and his friends would make their way in the procession to the bride's house, and this was often done at night, where there would be a spectacular torchlight presentation. And so basically get this image in your head. We in America, we get married on Saturday. We have an hour reception. We're gone to a honeymoon. We're taking off on Sunday morning, flying to Hawaii or wherever you choose to fly to, your destination of choice, and we're done within about three hours. This wedding was completely different. Wednesday night. People would show up at the, the, at the fiancé's house, and they wouldn't just be there. It wouldn't be the groom just showing up, but there would be a host of people showing up. And they would have these lit torches, basically like they would make a column. And the bridegroom would be waiting at the end, and they would knock on the door, and the fiancé would come out, and they would walk all the way through the lit torches. And as she was walking through all those lit torches, the men that were with the bridegroom would be saying words of praise to her, how lovely she was, how amazing she was, how beautiful she was, how awesome she is, and how, how proud of her they are that they're getting married to this wonderful person. And the ceremony would go on and on, and as she would get to the bridegroom, this torch-lit um, procession would lead them all the way back to the place where a reception would take place for the wedding. And so as they're going back to the wedding place, and if you're about to get married, I'm sorry because your wife has now had a whole new idea of what she wants done for her at the wedding. <laughs> and so as they're walking back to the place of the reception, they would walk in and, and then there would be this huge elaborate party that would take place. And understand this, if they're a virgin, they're getting married on a Wednesday. That gave the reception Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then they would rest and take off the Sabbath on Sunday. So this was more than just a one day, two hour and a half, two and a half hour wedding. This was a festival. This was a great party. This was an amazing time. And so much of the importance was written, uh, rising on this that some people even realized this, that if it went wrong, wrong enough, even litigation could take place according to the wedding, that you could get sued for not putting on a proper wedding. Oh, some of you are like, oh, <laughs> Lord Jesus. <laughs> Honey, you better get this right. <laughs> All the men that have daughters saying, amen, that's right. You can't marry my daughter. Now you didn't do it good enough. <laughs> This is so important for the bridegroom because he was proving to the father for the very first time, I will take care of your bride in the manner she's worthy of being taken care of. I will supply every need that she has, and I won't only take care of her, but I'll take care of her and her family as well as well as my family. I will rise up to the occasion, and he is, this is his first opportunity to prove to the father that he is, can do all he's previously promised and said he could do. This was his big display of how, how he would take care of his family. And so setting that scene, you're at this wedding, and Mary's on the scene. you got Jesus there, and you got the disciples that are with him. And so they're all at this wedding, and Mary runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. Remember what I just said, litigation can take place. Old boy could get sued. Mary runs up in a panic, Jesus, we're out of wine. Well, have you ever, and I'm going to put a disclaimer here, my wife is great about not doing this, and I'm so grateful for it. Many other people I, I hear don't have the same um, pleasure that I have in this area. But your wife says, we'll, I'll take care of it. I doesn't mean I, I means we. Oh, I'll handle that. That means my husband and I will take care of it. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, um, Jesus, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, woman, what's this got to do with me? <laughs> you signed up for this role because obviously Mary's role in the wedding is more than just a guest. She was either a relative or a close friend of the people getting married because she was obviously over the wine and food because she wouldn't have recognized that they were out if they weren't out. So she was obviously overseeing something in this wedding. Nobody really knows what, but you can speculate she had some kind of role of importance. So she brings Jesus. Mary's invited to the, to the wedding to do a role. So Jesus brings Jesus along, and his disciples come, and they run out of wine. So Mary says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And Jesus says, what's this got to do with me? It's kind of like Mary saying, hey, I'll help you move because I got a son, and he's got five friends that are here with me. Right? And the Monard family said, amen, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 
And so this is what's happening. Have you ever been in the situation when I really meant we? Well, that's the similar, similar thing that's going on here. And so Jesus, or Mary runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And Jesus looks at her. In America, we read this as a very disrespectful scripture, but it's not, not, not in any way, shape, or form. It's Jesus, remember? Mary looks at Jesus and said, we're out of wine. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, what does this have to do with me? And notice he didn't just stop there and be rude, but he qualified why he said what he said. He said, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Jesus was qualifying who he was in this scenario. There's a lot of times when Jesus could call his mom, mom. He could call his mom, Mary. Jesus also spoke to Mary like this one other time when he was on the cross of Calvary and he was about to die and he looked down at his mom in one of his seven last sayings. He said, woman, behold your son, behold your mother, talking to the one Jesus loved, the apostle John. It's the same, same gospel. And so when he said woman, he was not being disrespectful. He was making a statement of separation, declaring who he was at that moment. And you know that by the phrase that followed him. Many of you know that my mom works with me here at the church, but there are times in the workday when somebody else comes into my office and says, hey, I need this, or I need this, or I need this, and they're talking to me, and I'll say, I don't say stop by Bonnie's office or stop by mom's office. I say, go to the secretary's office. That's not disrespectful in any way, shape, and form. We are establishing separation. We're establishing the roles that we're in at this current time. Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. Jesus says, woman. When he says, woman, He's saying, I'm no longer your little boy baby Jesus. She said, he said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. When he declared my time has not yet come, he was establishing what he meant by woman because when he said my time has not yet come for the glory of God to be revealed, he's saying I am here in this position, in this setting with my disciples here as the son of God himself, not your baby Jesus. Many of you, you've seen the movie and you like to talk to Jesus because you like baby Jesus. You need to go to Son of God, Jesus. You need to go to Lion of the Tribe of Judah, Jesus. You need to go to Great I Am, Jesus. You need to go to Jesus that's got the name that's above all names, Jesus. You need to go to Jesus who's got the name that given unto us. It can save anyone, that Jesus. You better get Jesus right because he's not just Jesus, your friend, and Jesus, friend of sinners. He's Jesus, Son of God, God Almighty himself, made flesh in this earth. And when Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. A lot of Americans read that and get upset. How could he talk to his mama that way? Mary should have got excited because Mary realized at that point, oh, this isn't Jesus who I raised. This is Jesus who the angels in heaven appeared to me about. It said, I'm giving him the name Jesus, that at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's that Jesus that's here. So when he said, woman, my time has not yet come. The glory of God is not yet to be revealed. She should have got excited and said, oh, baby Jesus ain't on the scene. Son of God, Jesus is on the scene. And now a miracle can happen because son of God is here, not the boy I raised. You better get ready for a miracle in your life. And so in this process, in this process right here where she, he says, woman, it was a separation that I am now the son of God, not just your baby boy. When he declared he was the son of God, remember, Mary's in an impossible situation. Remember from last week, impossible is the place where God shows up and starts. She said, Jesus, I'm out of oxygen. I'm giving you the sign. There is no wine. I'm in an impossible place. Jesus said, good, I'm no longer your son. So woman, I'm now the son of God impossible is a place God started so God showed up when her situation got impossible and so then look at what Mary does if it was disrespectful Mary would have said well I told I raised you since you were a kid y'all know how mamas get I fed you for 20 years Jesus I fed you Jesus for 30 years 
right? Now you're about to go into ministry. No, look what she does. She responds. She doesn't overreact. She responds. And everybody said, amen. When the minute Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Mary looks at all the servants and says, get ready to do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> get ready. I bet Mary's going, ooh, I tell you, something to happen. I'm going to happy dance. Hey. I mean, she's going to get excited because she knows who's on the scene. And so she knows who's on the scene. She's excited. She says, y'all get ready. <laughs> y'all need to walk into church with that. I need, first thing we need to say next week is, y'all get ready, and you know what I'm talking about. Because God's fixing to do something in your life. Y'all get ready. The Son of God is on the scene. And so she says that. All the servants probably looked at her like, what's she talking about? And so she, says, so she, she declares that. And so as she goes on, the servants get ready. God shows up. The servants get ready to do what Christ told them to do. We talked about last week. Following instructions is a starting place for your miracle. So not only was Mary at her end for Christ to show up, the Son of God to show up and do the miracle, instruction had to be obeyed for a miracle to take place. The miracle was about to happen. Anytime that your miracle's about to happen, somebody's life gets put, to, put at risk. Whenever you're diving and you're going scuba diving and you're at the bottom of the ocean and you run out of oxygen, and I'm out of oxygen, have nothing to breathe, and my buddy comes down, it's called a buddy breathe, to help me get back to the top of the oxygen, the oxygen in his tank is his life. As he has this, this in his mouth here, I have this one in my mouth there, and I'm breathing Scuba Steve's oxygen. He's giving me his life because I'm out of life. He's putting his life at risk to make sure my life lives. And so you know what you do if you're this guy? You say, you better swim fast to the top, baby. <laughs> you better get to the top quick. In this process of giving your life when God calls upon you, I understand you're going to be putting yourself at risk. There's two people who put themselves at risk in this message. The first one is Jesus himself. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, than he give up his life for his friend. He didn't say that he dies for his friend, that he gives up his life for his friend. Now Jesus is in a peculiar place here. Jesus has got to obey the authoritative timeline of God Almighty. A person of faith puts a demand out there, trusting in God Almighty that he's the Son of God to help her at her place of impossible. How does Jesus, putting himself at risk, fulfill God's timeline and her need? We'll get to that in a minute, but he's putting himself at risk. Greater love has no man than this, than he give up his life for his friend. What have you done lately that's giving up your life? I'm not talking about dying for somebody. Dying's easy. Every believer in this room should be excited about the day you die, right? You're going to heaven. If you're not, come here. We'll, we'll pray now, and we'll get it right before we even finish the message. See, I'm not worried about dying in my life. I'm concerned about what I'm going to have to live through as a believer because it's going to take a risk. Many of you are not jumping out and helping out with the kingdom of God and his work because you're, you know it'll put yourself at risk, and the last time you put yourself at risk, you got hurt. You got church hurt somewhere in your life, and it's time to let Jesus turn water into wine. It's time to let Jesus heal. It's time to let him do a miracle working work. And you're going to put your life at risk for the one you say you love, the one you passionately say you live for. Jesus put his life at risk. He risked it all at this point. This is his first miracle. This is the miracle where he established divinity. He turned natural circumstances into something completely different. He established divinity here. The second group of people that put their life at risk is this, the servants. Remember when I said at the beginning of this message, some, these weddings are so important, in some cases, litigation is even possible. You can get sued for doing a wedding wrong. <laughs> really? And, and the bridegroom, who is your master, obviously, because it's his party, 
you're working for him, and this dude you hardly know named Jesus, who hadn't established himself yet, oh, it'd been easy after they saw the water, after they saw the uh, walking on the water and the five loaves and the fish to feed 5,000. Yeah, Jesus, I'll take this up there. Jesus hasn't established nothing yet. <laughs> you got servants over here that it's not that they'll lose their job. They didn't have jobs. They're servants. They were incurring beatings, lashings, and impossibly death for what they were about to respond in faith to do to the Son of God. In this process of putting their life at risk, they began to trust in Jesus. And I'm wondering how we in the American culture today would respond in this situation to Jesus and what he asked us to do. How would you respond if somebody who you didn't even know, somebody you weren't even sure of their ministry, but you heard God speak through them, and said, do whatever he told you to do, and your life was at risk for the kingdom's sake, how would you respond? I'm praying that we come to a day of this. I'm praying that I believe today, in this day and time, Jesus is looking for some people who are concerned about living in these days. People who are willing to live a life of risk. Not a life of stupidity, not a life of ignorance, a life of risk for the kingdom's sake. That you'll put your own reputation on the line as a business owner to declare the kingdom of God over the kingdom of your business prospering. Mm, that's tough. I know it's easy to clap about in church, but it's not so easy to do when you're the owner of a business. When you as the school teacher, when you as the nursing profession, when you as the doctor or the accountant, when you're put up against the wall, are you going to put your life at risk trusting that Jesus will get you through not to compromise the name of Jesus and maybe lose your job because of it? And get this, we're so concerned about losing jobs, they're concerned about losing lives. And they didn't have the hope of salvation yet. Jesus hadn't yet been crucified. I believe we're looking at a day that God's going to rise up some believers to step out and take a risk. Take a risk for what God's called them to do. So here's where we're at. The whole thing takes place. We have Jesus, whose mother came to him and said, turn the water into, or we're out of wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. The servants step up, put their lives at risk. Now is when we're going to get to go a little bit deeper. Everybody say, dive deeper. Look at this next scripture where Jesus begins to instruct. Jesus says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now I need you to change perspectives for a moment. There were six stone water jars. Six is the number of what? It's the number of man. You have stone water jars. The Bible talks about this in Ezekiel chapter number 36 and Ezekiel chapter uh, number 11 also. And it says, And I will give them one heart, and I will give them a new spirit within them, I will remove their heart of stones and from their heart of and I will give them a heart of flesh. Jesus is looking over at these gallons, these containers that hold gallons and gallons of water. And he looks at them and it says, these are representations of everything I've come for. You got six stone water jars that represent man. You got stone that represents the hardened heart of man at this time. You have them, uh, they're there for their ceremonial washings of the Jewish people. And the ceremonial washings did this. These jars now contained, as they would walk from place to place, all the dirt, all the junk, all the grit, all the manure that was on the roads, they would wash it off in these containers. You notice these were called ceremonial washing jars. And as they washed all this junk off in these containers, the good water would splash out and be on the ground, which was leaving these containers that held 20 to 30 gallons, about half full of nothing but dirty, nasty sludge filled water across the bottom and I believe Jesus looked at these stone water jars and looked at the heart of man and said I recognize what those look like I recognize what those look like I recognize the trueness of what that is and we always say this 
to get a miracle from to get a miracle you simply need a touch from jesus this doesn't even take a touch what did jesus tell him to do he just told servants who were listen faithful to respond faithful to respond he told servants faithful to respond to go to these ceremonial washing jars they had the potential of holding 20 to 30 gallons that were half full full of junk all across the bottom he said fill them up i love how jesus uses water in miracles and he says fill them up and then he said take some of it out and take it to the most important person at the feast the master of the ceremony can you imagine these servants can you imagine what they're thinking can you imagine what's running through their mind right now <laughs> i'm just to die homie i'm gonna die we're going down in a blaze of glory we're gonna be talking about forever look the, the guy who gave ceremonial washing water to the master of the ceremony we're gonna have a laugh forever can you see that they thought they were going to their death they were actually fixing to go to their life they're fixing to go to their life because as they brought that wine that that water that god had turned into wine to the master of the ceremony jesus is doing this jesus will change the stone heart of a man that is filled with the lies of religious dirt grit and manure that have drained you of your full potential and left with murky sludge-filled water, by one simple act of obedience, he'll change you into the finest wine. He'll bring you before the master of the ceremony, which is God Almighty, and he'll present you to the master of the ceremony. And when the master sees you, because you've been obedient to what Jesus said, he's going to say, this isn't the old stuff, this is the best. Now some of you got to get this clear in your head, because you're sitting here thinking of all the junk you've done in your life, of all the issues you've had, of all the past addictions you've struggled with, of all the past problems you've gone through, of how many divorces you may have had, how many affairs you may be currently living in, of what, whatever your case may be, you're sitting here thinking, I'm the junky water that's about to be brought before Jesus, or brought before the master of the ceremony. This is what God wants to do to you. You're the six stone water jars, full of junk and sludge and mire and junk. In first service, I said crap, so I'll say it in second service. <laughs> Filled with all that stuff, literally, from all the religious stuff you've tried to do to earn a relationship with God, and it's left you nothing but empty and half full. And you've been painfully seeking God, saying, God, I want to do something for your kingdom. I want to do something amazing, but I'm still just half full. Well, get ready, because Jesus is telling people to fill up the water jars. He's telling people to fill up your life right now. And when they fill you up, get ready. You're not being made full to sit there and do nothing. You're being made full to be brought before the master of the ceremony, to be presented to him, not as something okay, not as something nasty, but as the very best, because it says he saved the best wine till the end. People say this all the time, we're in the last days. I like to say if that's really true, God saved us for now. Some of y'all get that in a minute. That means he saved you for now. Saved you for the year 2014. He saved you for now. And he's going to do something in your life that's absolutely amazing. Now here's, here's the issue with this. Jesus brings this before the master of the ceremony. The master calls the bridegroom out. And the bridegroom comes out not knowing any of this stuff that happened behind the scenes. All this stuff with Mary and Jesus and the disciples and the servants, nobody knows about it except a select few people. They're not making a big ruckus about it. I mean, Mary, maybe Mary and her happy dance got a little attention, but they're not making a big ruckus about it. So the bridegroom, who knows nothing about what just happened, obviously the master of the feast knows nothing about this happened, calls the bridegroom up there and says, you have done different than most. Most people, and you can read this in the literal translation, they serve the best wine first until everybody's drunk. That's literal translation. Then they serve the lesser stuff after everybody has had too much. So they won't know the difference. <laughs> Basically is what it's saying. But he says, you have done differently. You have saved the best or the good wine until now. 
And I'm sure the bridegroom's sitting here saying, I did, <laughs> really? I, I did, yeah, what, what's the deal here? Remember when I talked about how does Jesus obey God's timeline with managing the impossible? God is able to make a public miracle private until he's ready for it to go public. I'm going to end with this point right here. God is able to make a public miracle private until he's ready for it to go public. What do I mean by that? This was Jesus' first public miracle. It allowed his disciples to believe in him. Public miracle that was kept private. Nobody else at the wedding knew about it because the bridegroom was not embarrassed in this situation. Many of you are afraid to receive a miracle from God because of the embarrassment that it might bring. God is not into embarrassing you. Jesus is not into embarrassing you, demeaning you, degrading you. He died for you. Jesus is not into embarrass you about your past. If you need a miracle from your past or even what you're living in now, it's not up here to embarrass you. Because Jesus in this kept a public miracle private until he was ready for it to be made public. It was made public to marry the servants and the disciples. That's it in my belief. He kept a public miracle private. It wasn't made public until John wrote that 100 years later. Do, do you catch that? That wasn't made public for whole earth knowledge until John 100 years later wrote it. God kept a public miracle private until he was ready for it to be made public. He said, woman, he separated himself. What does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. So how did he fulfill her request but keep his timeline? He made a public miracle private until he was ready for it to be made public. In your life, you need a miracle. Some of you are sitting here thinking, God, I want a miracle, but I am so embarrassed of my past. I'm so embarrassed of that addiction to my computer problem. And some of it, you would think, I, when I say that, you automatically think lust and internet porn. I'm talking Facebook, for crying out loud. Some of you have a Facebook problem, addiction, that if you don't get so many likes on a picture you post, they, oh, your world's falling apart. <laughs> Come on. You think I'm funny. I'm being serious. <laughs> Somebody unfriended you. Heaven forbid. Understand this. Jesus isn't out to embarrass you. Jesus wants you to be set free. Jesus wants you and your miracle, whatever it may be, whether it be you're on the verge of bankruptcy, he wants to relieve you of that issue. Whether you're on the verge of a full-fledged addiction and becoming an alcoholic, let him relieve you of that issue. Whether you're full of sin in your life of some other sort, let him relieve you of that issue. And here's why I believe he can make a public miracle private till he's ready for it to go public. Because I believe more often than not, when Jesus does a miracle, he wants you to start living it out before you start spitting it out. A lot of people come up to the front of church, get an amazing emotional experience. Maybe nothing spiritual happened at all, but emotionally you got relieved. So you leave here, you say, how great God is, how amazing he is. Three days later, you're back worse shape than you were this day. Maybe God's ready for some believers to get a miracle from him and go just have a lifestyle change so that when you tell your friends, no, I'm not going to drink at the bar with you this Friday, they'll ask you a question and you're willing to live it out before you're ready to spit it out. God's ready for believers to start living it. Talk is cheap. Show me how you're going to finish. Put a picture on my Facebook page the other day. It said start something and start was marked out and then it said finish. I'm ready for believers to start finishing something. Anybody can get out there and start something. Let's finish something. Watch what God can do in your life. So this morning, God isn't in here to embarrass you. God's in here to set you free. The son of God who qualified himself and separated himself even from his own mama did the miracle, obeyed his timeline, changed the whole ceremony of a wedding, kept a public miracle private till he was ready for it to go public, and everything fell into place. God wants to have everything in your life fall into his place. And I'm going to qualify that and say his place. For that to happen, for a miracle of God to take place, it's going to take this. Not even a touch from Jesus. A simple act of obedience on your part. Remember what I said last week? Miracles begin where instruction is obeyed. God starts moving at the place of impossible. Some of you are at impossible this morning. Good. 
You're at impossible. Start obeying instruction and a miracle will take place. God did the past two miracles that we've talked about without Jesus doing either one of them. Five loaves and the two fish. Five loaves and the two fish. He broke, gave the bread, he gave thanks, broke the bread, handed it to the disciples. As the disciples were handing it out, the miracles took place in their hands. Not Jesus' hands. Jesus did the blessing. The, the, the miracle happened in the disciples' hands. This miracle, Jesus didn't lift the finger. Woman, what has this got to do with me? My time hasn't yet come. She said, do whatever he tells you to do. Son of God's on the scene. He said, fill the water jars up, take it to him. Why do I believe this miracle is so important? I believe this miracle is so important, and I believe this is why it's the first miracle of Christ, is because when God did it, he set a precedence, a prophetic message of what he's really wanting to do. He wasn't worried about the, this wedding feast right here. When he said, Jesus, I want you to take six stone water jars, and I want you to turn those stone water jars into the finest of wines, he wasn't thinking of this wedding. He was thinking of the next wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The next wedding his son would attend would be his wedding, where he begins to bring in all people of every language, tribe, tongue, and nation to the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he, the bridegroom, gets to present something to God, the master of the ceremony. What he presents to God is us. The very best because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God wants to change your life. 